and hope about where people might find us. You know, this week I got a phone call. I've been visiting a guy named Bill who's uh, fighting cancer. And we spent some time together over the last six or seven months. And the thing, the last few conversations we have had together, his heart has been to make sure the people he leaves behind know how they can find him. And I got to call him Friday. He ain't going to be here much longer. Dads, today, today, dads, granddads, future dads, the best thing you can do is start today leaving instruction about how people might find you when eternity begins. To live in such a way that it makes the ideas and thoughts about heaven and eternity very real and leaves a clear path, charts a clear path to get us there. And you know, when we face in times some, and think about those kinds of things, usually it doesn't make us feel too, too warm and fuzzy. You hear those words on that song, there's a gun and ammunition just inside the doorway. Use them only in emergency, right? And many of us have, have experienced all kinds of teaching on this and stockpile this and put that there and make sure we got that covered and maybe you should make sure you got plenty of uh, rounds at your disposal and keep that gun buried and all of those sorts of things. Listen, Jesus got us covered, man. I don't know. I don't know how important it is to keep all that stuff there, okay? But our initial inclination is to lean into our ability to take care of things, if I read the, 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 the scripture about the end times, there's going to be little, if anything, any of us can do really to make things better. Except be what Jesus told us to be and live the way he told us to live and allow the grace and the power of God through his word spoken to us and through us and by the power of his spirit living through us and in us make the difference. He said, better you should pray to God, the Father and the Spirit. They will guide you from up here. I don't think there are any truer statements than that. And uh, God is calling. Can you hear him? And do you want to, 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 to live in such a way, uh, to, to, to live, leave people? Let me say something. Some of us sitting in this room probably are not escaping. Came for warm fuzzies today on Father's Day, didn't you? Yes. We probably aren't. We're probably not getting out of here unscathed. We probably aren't getting out of here without some sort of trouble or trial or tribulation. And probably not getting out of here, not because we've made bad decisions and certain things. Like we're probably not getting out of here because we choose to stand for Christ and we will have to face certain issues because we do that. And it's better we are prepared for it because the more I read Apostle Paul's writings on it, the more I read uh, Jesus' writings on it, the more I read the book of Revelation, I will tell you this, we are not getting out of here with a free pass. The scriptures tell us things will get worse and worse, and those who stand for God will face certain persecution. One friend of the scripture says, listen to this, everyone who, who chooses to live godly will, W-I-L-L, face persecution. Everyone. Oh, I know this is popular today. We must reconcile the knowledge we have about what's going on where the news is concerned and reconcile it with the scriptures. We must take what we know about what God says about things and we must place those two things together and figure out what God wants from us. Even in this most difficult times and circumstances that some of us face right now, and may face even worse in the future. We must believe that God has left us instructions that will help us. Second Peter chapter three, if you want to turn there with me, let's look at it really quickly. Second Peter chapter three, verse 11, reads like this. Verse 10, if my memory serves me correctly, reads something like, and the elements will burn with fervent heat. 
For those of you who are like advocates of climate change and doing everything we can to keep the earth from warming, <laughs> sorry. Um, because we can't. The scriptures say it's going to burn, it's going to get hot. Even the elements are going to burn and melt with fervent heat. And so Peter keeps writing and he says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. And he's not saying, he's not making a, he's not making a, uh, asking a question at that moment. He's making a statement. He says, listen, you should live holy and godly lives because you know this is coming. Looking forward, most of us aren't looking forward. We're looking with apprehension. We're looking with terror. We're looking with fear. We're looking, we're not looking with expectation. We are not looking with anticipation. We are not look, looking at forward with, with a hope. He says, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. Most of us are trying to find reasons, you know, you, I still have this to accomplish. This is not off my list yet. <laughs> I'm going to tell on Christopher if I can. Or Pastor Chris, as people fondly refer to him these days. He said he, said he used to negotiate with Jesus. Please don't come until I get married, can have sex, and children. But, you know, all of us, we laugh at that. I remember, you know, how many of you have ever thought something seems similar to that? You know what I mean? God, I still want to get this, and I still want to see this, and I still want to do, and, and please let me, and you know what? Peter writes here, listen, because this is all going to burn up anyway, it ought to change the way you live. It ought to change the way you think. It ought to change the way you do everything because it's, this is all temporal. It does not last. Negotiating with God about when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, all that stuff doesn't help. Matter of fact, it hinders. And Peter writes here, we should be in the business of hurrying it along, not keeping it from coming. And so we, we have to look at it with a whole different point of view. He goes on to say, on that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. This should change our perception. This should change our living. There should be an anticipation about what's going on, not anxiety. There should be motivation, not procrastination and hesitation. See, we, we, we do, we pray, we pray and live schizophrenically. Because we, we say things like, please come, Lord Jesus. And then we don't do anything to help that happen. We say, pray, but even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And then when he starts putting the stage together, we go, oh, no, 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 no. Anything but that, God. No, don't let that happen. And God says, listen, I gotta, do you want to enjoy heaven eternity or not? Do you want to make sure your friends get to enjoy it too? We got to get on with things. And so it's up to us to live in that way. We're, we're, our attention and our actions have to line up. In Matthew 24, Jesus is in this discourse about what the end will look like, discussing with his, with his uh, 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 disciples, his closest confidants, about what's going to happen. In verse 42, after he's described all the details, he gives them instruction. And it reads like this, So you too must keep watch, with an estimation point. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready at all, all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expect, expected. And he's continuing the instruction, and in verse 45 he says, A faithful and sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. And so he makes two statements here. The two emphatic statements he says is you must keep watch and you must be in a servant mode. You must not only just have the correct attitude and attention on the right things, you must be busy about doing something. Do you catch that in there? Is that pretty clear? Because we, we can think that we can, you know, we, 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 have, we have to keep our attention on proper stuff. 
We, we have to keep our attention on, 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 on the, the Word of God, the truth of God. We have to keep our actions moving in the right direction as well. There's two pieces of that puzzle. Luke 21 is a parallel piece of Scripture. Uh, it, it, for those of you who've you know, not been to Bible college and don't know, in, 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 in the Gospels, there are four Gospels. Right? Everybody with me on that? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They call Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they call them the synoptic Gospels. The reason they call them that is because almost all the content in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is found somewhere in the other two. In fact, it's like 90% of, of, of the information, the stories that are recounted are found. If it's found in Matthew, it's found in Mark and Luke also. Now, John's a little different story. It's, it's a whole different perspective. It's a whole different thing. And, and John, we know John was in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. Him, him and Peter and James were, were the tightest of the tight. So he has a little different spin, and he has a little more personal view of the person of Christ. That's why we tell people all the time, if you're going to start reading the Bible, you're to start with John. You get a really good idea about who Jesus is. Matthew, Mark, and Luke describe this same story of, of Matthew 24. Luke describes it in Luke 21, and his words along the same lines are this. Watch out. Verse 34, don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness, which like many of us say right now, okay, dude, I got that covered. But listen to the next phrase, and the worries of life got most of us right there. 98% of us are caught up with some kind of worry right now. We couldn't see the end if we wanted to. All we can see is what's standing right here in front of us right now. This bill's got to pay, be paid. This has got to be taken care of. Man, i got to fix that thing at the house. Doggone it, I wish the stock market would act right. What are those people thinking in Greece anyway? I don't know what's happening. Gee, many Christmas. Man, uh, what? we got the election coming. Holy smoke. And we got the, we got a, we got, we got, we got a Muslim running and a Mormon running. Oh, my goodness. And we're just like, yeah. Am I telling the truth? Many of you probably this whole week haven't even thought of the possibility that Jesus is coming. You've like, I got this going on, and it's like right here. Am I right? And our attention is captivated because we got all this happening. <sighs> right? And he says, don't be caught up with that, Luke writes. Jesus' Jesus' words for Luke, don't let that day catch you unaware. Keep alert at all times, he says, and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Peter says, How sh you should live looking forward to the day. Matthew, Jesus tells us in Matthew to watch, to be attentive, to have attention on him. He tells us to be a faithful servant and to take to, to, to be active in doing things, to take action. Peter, previously to write what he wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he writes something like this. He, in fact, the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 5, he's talking to the pastors, to the shepherds there, and he tells them one of the motivation he gives them is that Jesus is coming and he's going to offer you a reward. And then he gives the verses 8 and 9, he says these words, uh, in the King James, it would read, be sober, be vigilant. In New Living Translation, it reads like this, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are, and worse in some cases. Verse 9 says, stand firm against. That means that's not like, we often read Ephesians chapter 6 with the armor of God on, and it says, having done all, just stand. Like we're at the bus stop, waiting for the bus to come in. You ever watch people at the bus stop? In Ephesians chapter 6, as Peter does here in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, He's not talking about inactivity. When he says stand, he's saying like this, stand. Because you have an enemy, an adversary who wants to eat your lunch. He's not talking about being passive. He's talking about being active. He's talking about get into, get into the mode and be ready. You know, UFC or whatever. 
When they guys know the enemy's coming after them, they don't turn and go, okay, what are we going to do now? I don't know. Hey, he's got a nice pair of shorts. All right. Da, 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 da. Waiting for the, 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 the bell to go off. Them dudes are like, come on, bring it on right now. Am I right? It says, be sober, be vigilant. The words there that he talks about, the word, the word sober means to be sober-minded. This has everything to do with our focus and with our attention. What has your attention right now? It's probably Father's Day feast of some kind, I presume, at this moment. Dad's is probably that, am I going to get that thing I asked for? Oh, thank you, Jesus. You know? What has your attention right now? What is your mind focused on? What, is your, what are your emotions focused on? What are your affections focused on? What, what is it? What has your attention? He says, be sober-minded. It's not just talking about not having been drunk or under the influence of substance. It has to do with self-control. It has to do with what you're focused and, intentive and, and, and intentional about. What are you got locked in on? He talks about vigilance, and the, and the word there that he, that he uses means to be awake, to be alive, to be alert. And so there's this, where our attention is and where our activity is has everything to do with how well we progress through this thing we call the end times. Because what happens is, the reason we lose focus is we start doing other things that aren't that important. Now, I know we gave a golf thing away. Brian has to repent of covetousness at the moment because he would have liked to have had that. He, he said he's playing anyway. And you see, what happens is we start participating in certain kinds of activity, and you know what happens to our attention? You know what happened? You know, like we're supposed to be locked in here. And we start doing some other thing. Oh, I want this big of you. I can do this. And all of a sudden, our, our, our gaze goes this way. At the same time, if our gaze is locked in, then our actions begin to reciprocate where our, our attention is. They work hand in hand. It's like an unending cycle. If I stay locked in on the, cor the correct focus of my life, I won't get caught up with stupid stuff. Now, if I'm doing the right stuff, I don't get off track. And if I start doing the right stuff, sometimes what happens is it brings me back into focus on what really matters. And you have to have both of them working simultaneously. You must be sober and alert, but you must also be vigilant. You must take an active stance in your walk with Jesus. You must take an active stance against your adversary, the devil. You must take an active stance for your home. You must take an active stance in, in, in your prayer closet. You must take an active stance in your, in, your, in your reading of the Scripture. You must not, you cannot be just merely be passive. You must be active. Every one of us. The Scripture tells us in Daniel chapter 11, you can, I'm not going to go to it, we don't have a lot of time, the Antichrist will seek to apply pressure. The King James Version even reads something like this. It says, and he will seek to wear out the saints of God. And if you read, he gets a whole list of things of how he might do that. But here's the thing you need to know. And let me say this. I don't necessarily consider myself like this. As a matter of fact, even the thought initially of preaching and teaching on end times scared me to death. i just really be honest, Okay. So if you're coming this morning and you're looking like for tribulation charts, charts and end time maps and, you know, did it, I'm going to give you like, you know, 75 reasons why Jesus will be back on December 22nd, not December 21st like the Mayans said. No, I, you're coming to the wrong dude, okay? Just telling you. All right? But I do want to give you equipment that will help you, each of us, regardless of when that day might show up. And the very first thing we have to do is remind ourselves that Satan is trying to apply pressure, that he's trying to wear us out, that he's trying to get us sidetracked, that he's trying to make us passive and inactive and not do the work of the kingdom because the more he can do that, the slower the day is, the slower he can, and the more people he can captivate with the, with the, the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and the more people he can drag to his own punishment. Are you hearing me? And if we don't listen and think in terms of that, we will get caught up with all sorts of things. 
And it's easy, man. I know it's easy. Lord Jesus, you ought to. Ah. 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 I don't even want to say. I think of things that captivate me, and I even sit here thinking, I get frustrated thinking about it. Huh? You know what captivated me this last week while I wasn't feeling good? ESPN Classics was playing all these old NBA Finals games. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, dude, I Magic and Larry Bird and oh my goodness, I'm, you know, and I, oh, and I just, I want to sit and watch another one. You know what I mean? I just, ah. and before I know it, I could spend hours doing nothing but going, yeah, about a game that happened 25 years ago. You know what I mean? It doesn't even make any difference now. Is it all right to be honest like that? So I don't want you to know that we all fight the same battle. Satan's still trying to captivate all of our attention. Still trying to get all of us snared and, and off track. You know, in the book of Revelation, um, is, is where most of us turn when we want to talk about end times and all of that stuff. When we're talking about our attention, you guys, we're not going to you know, hit exact pieces of Scripture where you're going to be able to follow me, but think about this. Everywhere Jesus talks about watching, he almost always talks about praying. There's almost always in Scripture, if Jesus says watch, the next two words, and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Because Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said, listen, you're enlist, be an enlisted man. Don't get caught up with civilian affairs. Stay connected to the one who enlisted you. And if we don't, the only way to really keep good watch is to pray. And pray in an attitude of keeping our nose stuck in the word of God. I mean, think about Jesus and his disciples at Gethsemane. What is his mantra over and over again? Sit here and watch with me. He wasn't saying, like, sit and be still. He's like, let's pray. He looks, at Tim, he, looks, he looks at Peter at one point and says, listen, if you knew what hour you, the temptation is about to face you, man, you be, can't you pray with me just one hour? And he's just like, yeah. And they're about to enter the darkest time of any of their lives at that moment. His, his admonition is to watch and pray. Watch and pray. And he comes back and forth, back and forth, and he keeps finding him sleeping. They're not unlike us. I don't know how many times Jesus keeps coming back to us and goes, watch and pray, watch and pray. Don't watch and, not watch and worry. Some of you get locked on a website about stuff that's going on, and you're like, oh, oh, Jesus. And you say, oh, Jesus, but it's not in a prayer for attitude. It's like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? You get locked in front of Fox News and CNN and all those places. And, oh, and Lord forbid you turn it to, like, Discovery Channel or, or History or somewhere, and they, they pop that Mayan calendar on there. Whew. Oh, what's, 2012 is here. Oh my goodness. And we, we start to worry and we start to fear and we start to get captivated. And, and we're, not, we're watching and worrying. We're not watching and praying. Is that right? Isn't it easy? Huh? Then we, we just get. Uh. Matthew 25, Jesus, after he does all this thing, he starts giving exact details about the end times. Do, do, do. And watch for this, and this is going to happen, and that's going to go on, and the Son of Man will be seen in great glory, and da 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 And then he goes in and tells them some more things about the fig tree and this watch and pray thing. Then Matthew 25, he begins to give instructions through the form of parables. And the very first parable Jesus gives them is this parable we call the ten virgins. And it, the, whole, the whole idea is to be watching as somebody waiting for their bridegroom. Isn't that right? To be anxiously anticipating, staying connected affectionately and lovingly and, and passionately to the one you're waiting for. Is that right? And we know the story. Five of them are ready and five of them are not. Matthew 25, 13 reads like this. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know what the day or the hour of my return. He's telling them again, listen, where is your attention? Are you watching and praying? 
Have you got your nose more stuck in my presence and my word, or do you have your nose more stuck in your details and your affairs and, and the, 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 the news blips and the, the, the economy and the, 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 the stuff and the bills? And where, where is it? Are you watching? That's his first, his first parable going into the teaching about how to live through these times he just describes as watch because you don't know when I'm coming. If you read in the, the letters to the churches, Revelation chapter 2, it almost takes the same slant. And in, 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 in Revelation chapter 2, 4, in the, the, first, the first part of Revelation chapter 2, he's talking to the church at Ephesus. And the church at Ephesus, he, he goes through several things, but he says these words. It's wild that in Matthew 25, his first parable, he's talking about a bridegroom coming for the wedding feast and all that stuff. And the very first letter he writes to a, a here's another thing I remind you guys of, listen. We have to take things in context. And we have to, as much as we possibly can, interpret Scripture at face value. If we can't believe that God meant what he said, and we can't believe that God said what he meant, and here was some kind of code out there, ooh, the Bible code, you know. When I worked at Praises, man, we, we couldn't keep those kind of books on the shelf, man. Everybody had to have some kind of key to unlock what the scriptures are saying. You know, oh, you know. And the Bible says you got to have childlike faith. So, There we go. And what was I saying? I have no idea. You know what it sounds like to me? I have no idea. Be in this brain just one time. Just Ephesus. He's talking to the church in Ephesus. And his first words to the first church, his first parable is about uh, uh, being a bridesmaid, ready, a bride ready for the bridegroom, and the ten virgins, all that stuff. And his first letter to the first church, he's writing to literal people at a literal church in a literal place called Ephesus. There is literal instruction there for them in their particular situation. But here's the thing. Always in Scripture, there is a life application principle applied to the context of that writing. Okay? He's writing specifically to a church in Ephesus that had certain problems. But that does not mean he's not speaking to us simultaneously. Do you understand that? And his first indictment, his first cause for concern writing to the members of his church is, you have lost your first love, Ephesians, Ephesians, no, to the church of Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2. But I have a complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You have lost focus on what's really important. The Bible says the greatest thing on the planet is faith showing itself through love. Is that right? That faith, hope, and love remain the greatest is love. Jesus said the greatest commandment is this, what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And he says, listen, I got this indictment. The very first thing you've already lost sight of. You've already, choo. And it's a love issue with a, with a bridegroom riding to his bride. Is that right? See the similarities there? You've lost your attention. You've lost what's really important. You, your affection has moved to another direction. To the church at Smyrna, he writes this. He's really proud of these people. And his, his encouragement to them is to remain faithful, verse 10. Even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Now listen, isn't that, wouldn't that, isn't that what all of us grooms would like? Is for our bride to remain faithful. Right? Remain focused. Don't let things else get to you. And pull your attention and your affection away. Let's remain faithful. The next thing he says is to the church at Thyatira. If I'm right, am I right? No, Pergamum, I'm sorry. Pergamum. He says these words, but I have a complaint against you. You tolerate some among you whose teachings like that of Balaam. See, you're allowing certain things to come in to grab your attention. You tolerate certain things. Funny word there, isn't it? Hear that a lot on the news, don't we? 
Who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel? He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. Anyone with ears to ears, ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. What is the manna that God gives us? Man shall not live by what? Bread alone. But by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Where, he's saying, where is your attention? I got things that some things to disclose to you. I want to illuminate some things from my heart to your heart, but you're not paying attention. You're tolerating other stuff. You're not really locking in. Pay attention. That's what he's saying. To everyone who's victorious, and we'll be... And on the stone, we will, it will be, I will give each one a white stone, and the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. It's like getting a love letter. It's getting a, a term of endearment from somebody. You know what I mean? All you lovey-dovey spouses have pet names for one another, don't you? Huh? Where you just call, just call each other certain, and nobody else calls you that. At least I hope not. You know? He's saying, Listen. And, and, the, and the issue here is our, our connection communally with our, with our father, with our bridegroom. Watch and pray. Pray and talk, listen to the scriptures, the hidden manna from heaven. He said, listen, just, just grow in this. Pay attention to that. Now, ongoing in Matthew 25, he starts to talk, to, talk about our actions. The next two parables has everything to do mostly with our actions, how, we, how active are we in this time called the end times? And all of, them, all of these are written in the context that he is coming. The bridegroom's coming. The master's coming. The king is coming. All three of those parables in Matthew 25, the beginning of Matthew 25, are that, are that perspective, that context, saying, listen, listen, listen. If you want me to be a happy master when I come, here's, where, here's, how, here's how I'll find you. If you want me to be a happy bridegroom when I come, here's how, you, here's how I want to find you. If you want me to be a happy king when I come, because I am coming as that. I'm not coming as just, just the Savior this time. I'm coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'll be here to do business at that moment. If you want to be found at the right spot, here's how your life ought to be being lived. Do you get that? Your actions, your how. Matthew 25, uh, 14 through 46 talks about that. If you read verse 29 and 30, he goes, To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they'll have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And, and then he goes on in verse 30, he says, Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness. Wow. Verse 40, as he's talking about, you know, they come to him, he said, he said, he's separating the sheep from the goats. The sheep are on one side, the goats are on the other side. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was, I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. I was, I was, I was in prison and you came to me and, and, and all that stuff. He's, he's talking about all those things, all those actions we as the church ought to be taking. And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you, did, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you're doing it unto me. Do you get that? It's about action. He's, he's concerned about the focus of our heart, and he's concerned about the outplay of that focus portraying itself in the activity of our lives. He hasn't entrusted truth and hope and grace and love to you for you just to hold on to it like a precious gift that you would never let anybody else even handle. Because that's our natural response. When we have something that we hold precious, you know, it sits in that one spot. And even the grandkids know they should not touch that. It's natural for us to want to go, oh, that's, that's beautiful. That's, please don't harm that. That's the best china I have. Let's not eat on it. Let's just put it in a cabinet and look at it. And to me, I go, that's dumb. Why would you spend that kind of money on something you're never going to use maybe once a year? When you'll spend $30 on something you'll use every day. I'm, kind of, I'm a very practical guy, okay? If I'll spend money on something I'm going to use, I will not spend money on something that's going to be in a museum someday. I promise. I'm just like, I don't have any. Why would I spend that kind of money on something like that? That's crazy. But if we, we get something of value and we want to hang on, nobody touch that. 
It's exactly the opposite in the kingdom. We get given the best gift on the planet. And he says, don't hoard it. Don't hang on to it. Give it away. Put it to use. I mean, that'll be, it ought to be so used when it gets here. It looks like it's been used. It ought to be, look like it's been, 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 been pounded on and, and beat on. And man, just, just use it. I give it to you now. Use it. Use every bit of grace I poured into you. Offer it to somebody else. Use every bit of truth I put in your heart. Don't hang on to it. Give it away. Get every, every bit of joy I've given to you. Splash it on somebody else. Every bit of peace I pour into your life. Let it flow like a river out of you and overtake somebody else. That's what he's saying. And as we approach in times, we ought to be the most joyous, the most peaceful, the most loving, the most gracious, the most truthful, the most honest, the most incredible people. Why? Because we know the end times culminate with the coming of our Savior, the one we've been waiting on for all of eternity to come and make things right. Why wouldn't we be joyous and peaceful and happy and excited about that? Whoo, that's a mouthful. Work as a servant, as an ambassador for your king, for your master. The letters to the churches almost again parallel that. To the church in Thyatira, he writes, to all who are victorious, and the next word he says is, who obey me. So what's the correlation there? If you want to be victorious, obey. Bill Cosby says that sounds like pig Latin. Obey, oh yay, obey. And he better obey. You ever heard him do that little bit about marriage? The husband hears love and, and cherish. The woman hears obey. And he better obey. Never mind. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end. You keep seeing that, that theme? To the very end. To the very end. To the very end. To them I will give authority over all nations. That's to the church in Thyatira, verse Revelation 2.26. Revelation 3.1, the church at Sardis, he writes these words. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. You have the form, the activity of somebody religious, but there is no life. What you're doing is merely ceremonial. Let's get out of being ceremonial Christians. Let's be alive, active, transformational entities in the the world God's planted us in. That's what he's saying. To the church of Philadelphia, he writes, Revelation 3.8, I know all the things that you do. I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you have obeyed my word and did not deny me. You know what he's saying here? I know you've been through a lot. This is one of the true, this is one, this is one of the good letters he wrote. He wrote two good letters out of the seven. Five of them were horrible indictments, two of them were, were, were kudos for the church. And he says, listen, you guys have obeyed me. You've continued to proclaim my message. I know you're weary. I know you're tired. I know things aren't working quite the way you want it to. I get that. But hang on. Keep doing. I, I'm paying attention. One scripture says in Jude, is that right? I think it's Jude. He says, he saw, he saw the Lord coming with 10,000s of his angels and his reward is with him. He's coming to reward those who've been actively pursuing the things of the kingdom and are actively pursuing the lost at any cost, actively portraying the love, the truth, the grace, the hope, the power, the honesty of the God who rules in heaven. Ah! And so the church at Laodicea, he writes to them, verse 15, I know all the things you do. Do you see that theme keep going on? It's crazy. If you start lining up scripture next to itself, how amazingly it goes, oh, the first three, the first three letters to the church is all about where their attention is. The last four all about what they're doing. We've got what God's already given them. The first parable in Matthew 25 is all about where their attention is. The last two are about what they're doing with what God's already entrusted them with. Where they're being good ambassadors for his kingdom. You see that? All the things that you are neither hot nor cold. Now, here's what this one is this is people who are more concerned about comfort and convenience than mission and movement. I'll serve Jesus as long as it's comfortable for me. Dude, keep that air conditioning pumping. Whew. Well, I like these nice soft pews. Oh, yeah. And you wouldn't go get them chair things, would you? Absolutely, I would in a second. 
if I could find somebody who wanted moth pews to take them off of our hands. No, anyway. Um, uh, but we think in terms of comfort and convenience, you know. That's natural for us as Western Christians. That's just what we do. But God's not interested in, in bringing, a, bringing a church home to heaven who's just merely been comfortable and done convenient things. He's looking for people who have charged the gates of hell. What did he say? He said, he said I, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Is that what he said? He's looking for a church, and, and gates don't move. You do know that, right? When he says something about gates, gates are not active. They are stationary. They are hung on posts and things like that, right? You get that? So the thing doing the moving are not the gates. It's the thing coming against the gates, which is the church. Are you hearing me? And he says, listen, be about it. He's looking for somebody who's about the mission that God gave them, the reason he created them for from the very beginning of time, moving, to, moving things towards the culmination of all things in the coming of Christ. So the action we're to take is carrying out what we are told in Scripture and in prayer. We have to keep our attention right, get our attention on the right things, prayerfully and hopefully our actions take on the right form and the right shape and the right movement and the right momentum. So at this point, what do we say about these things? In Titus chapter 2, Paul's writing. And he's writing to a, to a pastor mentee of his. And he says, verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men.
people to I didn't even my people with the word. And now my people are getting about the business of the kingdom. And we gotta be about it. We've got to. If the entire body of Christ is in anticipation and motivation, we should we would expedite the mission and we would hurry the day of the Lord along, just like Second Peter says. If we live in that perspective, not in terror, not in fear, not in apprehension, but in anticipation and expectation, things would be different. It's kind of neat. Over the last last week, Karen Wolford teaches a class at the Methodist Church in town on Wednesday nights. And last week, a week ago Wednesday, she, she taught on, guess what, of all places, Matthew 24. And we hadn't compared notes or nothing. And she calls me and she's like, I can't believe sitting there Sunday morning. Well, you're talking about Well, a couple weeks earlier, she, gave, she passed along a book to me. She, and she had no idea I was pre- going to be preaching in time or anything like that. I mean, none. She said, passed along a book to me called Seven Days Until Christ Returns by David Jeremiah. And basically, it's a devotional that says, if you knew like in seven days Jesus was coming, Here's some things you ought to think about doing. Make sure you're right with God is number one. Right now, today, hear me talking about the end of times and everything's coming. You ought to make sure you're right with God. And you ought to uh, be a witness. If you're not right with God, listen to me. The witness of Jesus is this. We are all sin and sinful and lost. We need the grace of God. Not just one day or one particular moment we come to Christ. We need the grace of Jesus operational in our life every moment of every day that we live every second. Because none of us are perfect and none of us have our junk all together and none of us are ever going to be there because we aren't, we, aren't, we aren't him. And he came that we have access to the Father so that when everything came down, whether it was our life wrapping up or this entire thing we call the earth and humanity wrapping up in the context of time, he said, listen, you be ready. I will pay the price for what you can't make up for, which is your sin. And I'll give you access to the Father and access to heaven. Make sure you're right. Church, day two was be a witness. If you, only, if you knew there were six days left, would you come?